What an interesting start to the year. It's 2020. We're a church called Vision. And we've begun the year with deep, dark blackness surrounding the city. I don't think you need to be prophetic at all to find some messages in there. But we're going to pray. And then it's my hope this morning to give us a bit of a focus, a bit of an encouragement and exhortation as we face the time and the year ahead. So let's pray. We ready? Father, we do really come to this year, I'm sure most of us, with many mixed feelings, a sense of excitement perhaps about a new year, a sense of readiness for some, and then also a sense of, of sorrow and confusion. And we do remember, Lord, particularly those, even some family members who've been caught up in the midst of this bushfire tragedy, people who've lost their homes, people who've been forced to evacuate. And Lord, we, we thank you that you are a God who is with us in each and every season, from those mountaintops to the valleys, when we have much and when we have little. As the Apostle Paul famously said, we know this, that we can do all things and face all things through Christ who gives us strength. So I thank you, Lord, that our strength comes not from our circumstances and our surroundings, but it comes from the reality of a God who is with us. And I do pray that you would reassure our hearts and that in the midst of whatever it is we're feeling this day, that there would be an encouragement, that there'd be an exhortation, that there would be a capacity for each of us personally and us as a church to look to you this day and this year. Thank you that there are good things, good works, your word proclaims, that you have prepared beforehand for us to do, that you are a good God who is outworking good things in our lives and in our midst and in our nation, regardless of what any headline might present. So we choose to trust you, we choose to look to you, and we pray even this morning as we turn to your scriptures that you would lead us and guide us this day and this year for the glory of your name. May you be lifted up, may you be exalted, may you be the desire of our hearts for now and forevermore, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to grab your Bibles. I'm going to go to two passages of Scripture. We're going to begin this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Then we're going to turn over to Luke 25. Two passages of Scripture, one particular theme for us, for this year, for this season, and I'm sure you caught it in the notices, but please, if you're around, come along next Sunday, and we will be talking through some practicalities of this year, what it looks like, the nuts and bolts, particularly concerning this building move. But this morning, this is more spiritual than practical. What, what is God saying in the midst of what we see around us? What is God saying in the coming year ahead for us, the year 2020. I'm going to say that a few times. I just like that. 2020. Anyone feel like we're in the future now? 2020. It sounds like some futuristic novel, doesn't it? Welcome to 2020. Well, Paul's writing to uh, the Thessalonians, the believers, this particular church. He's coming to the conclusion of a letter, and we don't, obviously, in the interest of time, have any capacity to review what he has said. 
But he leaves them with a specific exhortation and encouragement as he brings this letter to a conclusion, words that have resonated in my heart as I've prepared for this year, this season, and as I said, in the midst of the end of last year and everything that we've seen around us. Paul writes this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. It's one of those moments where I just kind of think, ah, well, they might not, but it'd be really handy if Paul had just written. But for the benefit of those who will be reading this 2,000 later, but 2,000 years later, here are some details. So we don't know the times and the seasons that Paul is referring to, but he says at the beginning of verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware. Concerning the times and seasons, you have no need of anything to be written to you because you are fully aware. I think perhaps it's intentional that Paul doesn't specify what those times and seasons were specifically that the Thessalonians were facing because we are called always to be a people who are aware of the times and seasons. I don't have time to go through scriptures, but... As you look both at the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see time and time again that God is a God of times and seasons. He ordained it, and we looked a little bit at that last Sunday. He set things in motion, and he uses the times and the seasons for specific purposes. So let me ask, ask that question, are we fully aware of the times and seasons? Are we fully aware? Do we really know what time it is? What is the season that we're in? And obviously times and seasons can be more than a calendar year. I'm not saying that God locks himself into a 12-month period. But do we know the times and seasons in which we live? Certainly the Thessalonians did. He says, you know the times and the seasons, brothers. You have no need to have anything written to you, for you are fully aware, verse 2, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Who thinks this is sounding encouraging so far? <laughs> we'll get there. Bear with me. And they will not escape. Verse 4, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day, we are not of the night, nor of the darkness. In verse 6, we'll look at a moment and see what his encouragement is there. One thing that strikes me as I read this particular book, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, is the same. And in fact, consistently throughout the apostles' writings, all of them, the New Testament writings, is this focus upon the return of the Lord. In fact, if you read 1 Thessalonians, not only is it in every chapter, it's almost central or alluded to in every passage and portion of Scripture that's contained in this letter. Clearly, it was, it was central. It was the dominating theme that was running through constantly the Thessalonians' mind. He's, he's coming back. He is returning. And you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that for so many churches, perhaps for some of us, maybe we have a glib reference to the return of the Lord. Maybe there's that kind of thought in the back of our minds that, yes, he is 
coming. And yet, for them, it was central and it was dominating. It, Paul puts it this way to, to Timothy, his spiritual son, 2 Timothy 4.8. He talks about striving for this crown of righteousness. He always uses these athlete analogies. That's, that's my goal, to receive this crown. It's laid up for me and not just for me, but all who have loved, or some translations say longed for, his appearing. A crown of righteousness laid up for all those who long for his appearing. And I wonder if there's, there's something in our hearts and our lives that has lost sight of this centrality of the return of Christ. I mean, it's, it's probably there. For most of us, we're like, yeah, we, we believe that. We understand that. Jesus is coming back. But is there a loving and a longing for his return? Is it central? Is it a, a driving motivation and force in our lives? Is it a lens and a perspective that we view circumstances through? And really, that's what Paul's saying. So you, you know the times and the seasons. And in fact, it's, it's great that, that everything that you are viewing is through this lens that Jesus is coming back. Like it's as, it's as real as I'm going to visit Adam this week. I'm going to, I'm going to see a friend. Like it's, it's that tangible, this reality that he is actually coming back. That's, that's a reality. It's not just some pie-in-the-sky hope that's put off to never, never land. You know, it's some vain imagining of the heart. It's a reality. How's the smoke going, by the way? Worse or better? One better, lots of worses. Thanks, Rod's going to turn it off. We'll put up with the heat and endure the smoke. And by the way, if you need to get up and move around, I'm not sure if the building anywhere else is any better than here, but feel free to do whatever you've got to do. That's totally fine. You're not going to interrupt the flow here. Is that reality of Christ's return, is it something that's burning in our heart? And, and see, my suggestion is that maybe it should be, and maybe we would live differently. Maybe we would approach things differently. Maybe we would react in certain ways. We would pray certain ways. We would do certain things differently. And I'm not talking about a people who set a date and they sell all their belongings and, well, there's no point in getting an education. I mean, all things in balance, yeah? We all know we can go way too far the other way. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. But he's talking about a people who have this, this passion, this, this genuine understanding. This, this is happening. This is a reality, the crown of righteousness laid up for all of those who loved and longed for his appearing. Do we really love and long for that day when the king of heaven splits the sky? When he comes and there's no more fires and devastation and destruction, when there's no more sin when all of that is, is dealt with, where the righteous king comes with righteous judgments, no more evil, no more wickedness. Isn't it the longing of our heart? And isn't that something that should just pierce through all of the reality around us with a clarity and something that stirs up our heart? But that's not actually the message. We're just setting the scene. <clears throat> Verse 6. So in that context of a people who knew the times and seasons, who longed for the returning of the Lord... Both of things that are, are very worthy of us fo focusing on. But verse 6 is really the Apostles Paul's 
excitation. So then, he says in verse 6, so, so this, this is what he's desiring to produce in the lives of the Thessalonian believers. This is what I believe is the urgency in this passage of Scripture for us in the times and seasons that we live now. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now, sober there is referring to um, being not drunk, but it really means sober of mind. He's saying keep wide awake, be watchful, be alert, be sober-minded. He's saying wake, wake up, wake up. Don't be lulled in to sleep. I don't know about you, but I have a, a love-hate relationship with alarm clocks. <laughs> I certainly see them as a necessary evil. I certainly use one when it is required. But I've never been able to fully understand the snooze button. <laughs> and in fact, I have a, a lovely wife whom I love dearly. She has many qualities just a couple of things that occasionally might slightly get on my nerves. And one is that she loves not only to have one alarm clock, but she'll have an alarm clock to be the second alarm for the first alarm, and then another alarm clock set to be the third alarm clock for the second. Anyone else like that? Like there are multiple alarms, and I'll wake up at times in a bit of a shock. It's, it's just the second alarm. It's all right, go back to sleep. Snooze button here. Just the third alarm, it's fine. Just the precursor to the precursor to the real alarm. The other way of approaching a snooze button. And it's interesting, uh, over the last kind of week and a half, we bought one of our, um, our girls a Fitbit. We've got uh, three of the kids now that all have these Fitbit exercise tracker type devices. So one of them got one for Christmas. And what I didn't realize is that there's a capacity on these Fitbits to set alarms. And of course, she's not old enough to have her own Fitbit account, so she uses my, my particular phone, she logs in, she sets everything. And so I had a week where all of these alarms began to pop out. I mean, she was alarming herself when she needed to brush her hair and go to the toilet and check the eggs. And I'm thinking, where are all these alarms coming from? inundated with alarms. I have rectified that particular alarm issue. It was alarming, thank you very much. It was certainly alarming. And then it's interesting in the midst of bringing that into a, you know, a, a more broader contemporary context with all of the fires. Maybe some of you have had this experience, but I was walking through a shopping centre and the alarms in some of the shops were going off because of the, the thickness and the heaviness of the smoke. I had friends who said, yes, our alarm in our house went off. The smoke came in and the alarms were going off. And see, in, in the midst of, I, I say all that for this reason, in the midst of a, a season for me, a, a week of being inundated with alarms and praying and thinking, God, what, what is happening in the midst of all that we see around us. What is your perspective? And I really feel like the Lord put this on my heart. Very simple, very easy. He said simply this, it's a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call. There is an alarm that is ringing 
for those who will have ears to hear it. This is a wake-up call. See, I, I believe that this is a strategic time. We joke and understand that it'll probably be the year of the puns with vision and 2020. 2020 vision. Vision 2020. Have I mentioned 2020 enough? Got it in there. Welcome to the future. But I do feel like this is a critical time, a strategic time, an important time, a time where there will be clarity, but where there is a need for us to wake up, to be alert. We're not called to be a sleeping people. So then let us not sleep. Let's not spend our time asleep. Let's be awake. Let us be alert, not hitting the snooze button. It's just the third alarm. It's just a second alarm. You know, Jesus is coming back sometime. That's going to happen down there. I'm too busy now. I've got things to do this year. I've got you know, missions to accomplish. I've got to you know, pack out my pension. I've got some holidays. Whatever it might be, I feel the urgency of the Lord for us that it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to wake up. It's time to wake up. Stop putting it off. Stop hitting the snooze button. Stop putting it to another day. Let the urgency of the hour, the reality of a God who will soon split the skies and return to judge the living and the dead. And I say that there might be another thousand years. We're still called to live with that urgency that he could be coming back tomorrow. That everything, the passion and desires of our lives are lived in that specific reality. It is a time for us to live wide awake. We have got to be prayerful. You know, my heart has been stirred for us as a people. Stay tuned for this. But for there to be ways for us to pray like we've never prayed before. I was reading just um, over the, the week Christmas, between Christmas and New Year, about the early church. Look at the beginning of the book of Acts. Just the simplicity of these people. It says they came, they devoted themselves to, to teaching, to breaking of bread, to prayer, and to fellowship, communion, koinonia. So simple, and yet so profound. And how often do we, do, do we or let's say, do I, do I hear the word a prayer? prayer meeting. Well, hit the snooze button. That'll be for later off. You know, that'll be for the midst of a crisis. That'll be for whenever. You know, prayer is such a vital foundation. How, how often do, and I'm being honest here, as, as a, a pastor, I think, well, we, we can't just do a prayer meeting. It's not exciting enough. You know, we've got to, we've got to dress it up. We've got to somehow make it fancy and, and more palatable and just, just prayer? Like literally that's all the disciples gathered together to do? Just prayer, just the simplicity. You know, there was no worship team. There was no lights display. There was no smoke machine. There was no fancy bells and whistles. There was a devoted people that came, that loved the Word of God, loved His Scriptures, that devoted themselves to one another, and they devoted their lives to prayer, just to prayer. Let's make prayer that simple foundation of our lives. 
personally, as a single person, as a, as a family, as a couple, and certainly as a church community. It is essential that we grab a hold. This is, this is a time to pray, recognizing that the issues around us, as is the case with all issues, they're not purely political issues, societal issues, environmental issues, under everything, underpinning everything we see in society around us, Scripture reveals, is a sin problem. And the answer is Jesus. We have the answer. We've got to be prayerful and we've got to be prepared. If you read on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he talks about, Therefore, because we are to be an awake people, since we belong to the, to the day, he says, Put on the breastplate of faith and love, a helmet for the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us to wrath but to attain salvation. And then he finishes off in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Encourage one another up around this theme. So I want to ask us a question. And in fact, it's a question that I've been asked many, many times over the past week in a totally different context. But again, it's funny how sometimes the natural, I believe, reflects the spiritual. And, and, you know, for most of you would be aware that my family and I, we live just out of town, just down south on a property. And you would not believe, this is a good thing, but the amount of messages that are coming through saying this, are you ready? Are you bushfire prepared? I mean, we've had letters dropped in our, our leaflet box. We've had people come around and knock on doors. We've had community members out talking, doing everything they can. And in fact, there's been... A great sense of community, people offering. Does anyone need anything? Do you need an extra fire reel and hose? Do you need some extra water storage? Some people saying, look, I've got a free afternoon. Does anyone need? I can come around. I can help. I can clean some leaves. We can move some stock. People offering horse floats because, of course, when you're out in a rural area, it's more than just leaving your house. You've got to think, what about the animals? What do we do? And so there's been this, in a good way, this urgency and this effort around this question of, are you ready? Are you prepared? The amount of times in the last week that people have said, what's your fire plan? And to be perfectly honest, we have been a little laissez-faire in this regard. And so I would say, well, our, our plan, which it is, is simply to leave. Like, we don't have the firefighting equipment we're just going to grab what we can and we're going to leave. And someone very lovingly pointed out to me and they said, well, you know, leave is not actually a plan. That's a word. A plan would be, where are you going? How are you going to get there? And what are you going to take with you? How are you going to grab the animals? How are you going to grab the kids? They're more important than the animals. Make sure you remember the essentials. How are you going to get out of there? What, what exit are you going to take? What's the strategy? Like the fire's coming from this way. Where are you going? You don't want to be trapped. We're backing on to a reserve. Like it's been this, in a good way, this challenging and confronting, encouraging community coming together saying, are you ready? Are you prepared? Is there anything I can do to help? Is there anything we can do to help you get ready? Because we've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared. We don't know what's coming. We don't know when it's coming. We don't know how it's coming. But we do know that we need to be prepared. We've got to be ready. 
And for us, sadly, not anymore after the events of the last week, but there's been a big fat snooze button on the readiness plan. Bang. You know, just, just, we'll, we'll do that when we get to it. You know, it's, it's too much work. It's too hard. It's too expensive. We've got to get you know, hose reels and fire pumps and sprinkler systems. And you know, we, we've, got to, we've got to do all that and we'll just leave. Yeah, but if you thought through, well, no, we'll just, we'll figure it out on the way, you know. We hop in the car, we'll, we'll figure out what we're going to do. And my encouragement is I believe that that whole picture, I know that's in the natural, but that really reflects what's on my heart for us this year. That we would be a ready people. That we would be knocking on each other's doors. That we'd be going around, look, I've got an afternoon, is there anything I can do to help you get ready? Is there anything I can do to help you get prepared? Can I encourage you? Can I pray for you? Can I, can I just send you a, a word of encouragement? Can I give you a call once a week? Can I, can I help you just declutter your life? Can I help mind your kids so you can have some space? Can, can, can I, what can I do to help you get prepared and get ready? And I'm amazed in the natural as I've looked at it, as, as people have written out, here's all the things you need to do. I'm like... <laughs> I need someone to help. I don't know where to start. That's okay. Because I love it how Paul ends this encouragement to the Thessalonians. Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up. Just as you are You're doing this already. But let this be a time and a year and a season where we take that to the next level. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are we a prepared people? Now, just very quickly, I want to... That was only the introduction, but don't worry. We'll make the main points a lot shorter. Just come with me, and we're going to read together a parable of preparation, almost as a way, hopefully, of tying in some of these things together. And then we'll bring our time this morning to a conclusion. Because I've really already given you the message. We could say amen. Oh, really? <laughs> All right. All right, then. Amen it is. Look, let's just read these words. There's just two really quick encouragements. Two really quick encouragements for us. And then I want us to pray. And I want us to really pray. And as I said, we'll talk next week about some of the more practical things for us as a church. This is Matthew 25, and remember Jesus has spent some time, and as I said, not only the apostles, but New Testament writings, Jesus himself, he, he spent significant effort in his Gospels preparing his disciples, saying there's stuff that's going to happen. When you see wars and rumours of wars, when you see famines and disease and pestilence, do not be alarmed. Don't be what These things have to happen. This, this, is, this is a world, as Romans says, that's groaning under the weight of sin, a fallen planet. He says, do not let your heart be alarmed. But then he tells these parables, multiple, not, not just this particular one we'll read about, but do be prepared. Do be ready. Don't be alarmed. Don't be worried. We've talked about that. Anchor, assure yourself. That there's a God and he's coming and Jesus has promised that he would, he would come. I'm coming. I'm coming. Don't worry. But do be prepared. And here's one of them. 
the parable more than perhaps any other that talks about preparation. Matthew 25, verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom's, bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And here is the purpose of that parable. In this instance, Jesus makes it abundantly clear for us. Therefore, watch. Some translations say, therefore, be ready, be alert, be awake. For you know neither the day nor the hour. It, it always amazes me. I, I love this story. I'm sure that we have probably all read this parable before. But it's the parable, perhaps more than any other, that has the most opinions, the most conjecture about it. Everything from who were the bridesmaids? Were the bridesmaids at the bride's house or the groom's house? Were they in the street? If they were in the street, did they sleep in the street? Did they go into a house and sleep? What were the lamps like? How heavy were the poles? Do you know that there was a whole paper I saw on how heavy the poles were that carried the lamps? that the bridegrooms may have carried to meet the bridegroom. But in the midst of all that, certainly there's some, there's some uncertainties in there. There's some questions. We don't know the full picture, but the message is simple. Be ready and be prepared. When he comes, just as if the fire comes, that's too late to prepare. There's no time then. There's no point in trying to sit down and the fire's at your door. Well, maybe we should think about writing out a fire plan. You know, Maybe we should think about investing in some equipment. Maybe we should think about cleaning the leaves. That moment has come and gone. And this concerns me every time I read this passage. We have ten virgins and we only have five who are prepared. Five who are prepared. Five of ten is not great odds. I don't pretend to be a great mathematician, but I know that much. If you go to a doctor and you get a 50% chance that the disease you have is fatal, that's not good news. That's bad news. If you have an exam that has a 50% fail rate, that's very different than some exams where, oh, it's not pass or fail, it's just everybody gets in somehow. Now, you study hard for those exams. I've taken some of those exams. There's only 50%. Jesus is saying this is the kingdom of heavens, likened to ten virgins. Five who were prepared and five who weren't. And in this passage about preparation, I love it because it's so simple. In this passage, it's not like Jesus says, and, and here's how it works. 
Here's the 200 things you need to do. Here's the list. Here's the hoops you've got to jump through. Here's all the requirements. You've got to bust your gut. And if you're lucky, maybe you'll be one of the five who make it in. It's so simple. He says it's like this. Ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. What was their mission? Their mission was simply to keep their eyes upon him. What was the warning? The warning was that half of them, although they had all of the trappings, there's no differentiation in the description. They had lamps. They were walking out. They had poles. We can argue about how heavy they were, but they had poles. They had everything that they needed. They were virgins. They all got tired and slept. The only one difference was that one had all the trappings and no substance, no oil. The other group, they were prepared and they had oil with them. And you know, the interesting thing about oil is that oil takes some effort. It takes some crushing to prepare. And in the one sense, as we read through this parable, it seems a little unfair that some do and they don't share with the others. Seems harsh. But as we read on, we recognize that every person must prepare for themselves. There is no way that I can acquire oil for you. There is no way that you can acquire oil for me. I can encourage you. I can stir your heart and I will and I'll ask you the question, hopefully more than just once on the first Sunday. Hopefully you'll ask me too, are you ready? Are you prepared? Are your eyes on the bridegroom? And have you got your oil? Are you prepared? Is there the trappings of religion or is there the stirring? You know, I, I think as I read of that, of passages such as Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.5, he says they had a form of godliness, but without any power. Where's the power? Where's the flow of the Holy Spirit? Or perhaps Matthew 7, where Jesus said the same words as he says here. He says, you did all the stuff. You healed, you prophesied, and yet I did not know you. Depart from me, I did not know know you and the reality of this parable is that you know there was a delay it says as the bridegroom in verse 5 was delayed who knows that 2,000 years is quite a delay and we don't know how much longer that delay will last but Jesus tells us ahead of time there is a delay but we need to be making sure that we are prepared, that we are ready. Are we a prepared people? Are we a ready people? Are you ready? Do you know the times and seasons in which we live? Is there just that longing and that desperate desire that Jesus would come back, the King of Heaven. Is He our passion? Have we got the oil that we need that we would be ready when He calls for us? Can we get the worship team back out here?
Let me just finish with this, and this really is the heart behind me. You know, I'm quite intentional each year in saying, Lord, would you give me just a word? Sometimes it's for me personally. Would you give me a scripture? Would you give me something? And I'll finish actually with how this whole message began. But I was spending some time, and you know, it's been frustrating and in some ways a bit of a gift that we've had all this smoke because it's meant that I've spent a lot of time inside. Normally this is the time of year I'd be outside doing projects, which is great because you tick a lot of things off the list, but then you end up kicking off the year and you're exhausted. <laughs> so I've been sitting inside, and, and, and sitting inside, and this will be revealing, I've even done some puzzles. I don't remember the last time I sat down and did a puzzle. But I've been you know, playing with the kids and of course in the midst they're spending some time with the Lord. And just kind of in that space of, Lord, I, just, I, I want to know what your heart is for the year. Show me what you have for us. And, you know, sometimes in my quiet devotions where I feel stirred and I'll literally stand up and maybe wander around and pray and proclaim and speak things out. There's other times where it's, it's kind of one of those weeks I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of put some quiet music on, sit back in the chair, just seek the Lord have a bit of a soaking time, which can at times turn into more of a sloking time. You know what I mean? Half sleeping, half soaking, just in the presence of the Lord, just enjoying His presence. And So I was in that place, just like, Lord, just speak to me. And the only way I can describe it is I still don't know whether I physically heard this or it was just this urgency in, in my spirit. But I heard what sounded to me like, the starter's gun of a pistol, like you'd hear at the beginning of a race. It was just this lying there soaking bang, and it was it was that vivid, and I just heard I heard like in my spirit, get up and run. And and literally I flew out of the seat and I'm thinking, what is it, Lord? Is is someone in trouble? Like is something going on? Is the fire coming? And I felt like the Lord, and I'll 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 read it out. It's very simple. The Lord in that moment, he said. I'm looking for a people who are ready. That was it. I'm looking for a people who are ready. Ready for when he calls. That's what I want to ask us this morning. Are we ready? Would you close your eyes? Would you close your eyes? It's between you and him. Are we a prepared people? Are we ready? See, if we're aware of the times... Just as we are so aware at the moment in the the natural of fires, that demands a readiness and a response. You cannot be aware of what's going on and not, if you're in the firing line, be prepared. I want to ask us the same in the spiritual. Are we aware of what's going on? Are we really aware? Because if we are, then there will be a readiness. There'll be an eagerness. There'll be an excitement. There'll be an expectancy. And it's my prayer that as a people, God would stir our hearts this year, 2020, that we would be a people who stop hitting the snooze button. Stop putting it on. It's just a third alarm. There'll be another one. Just a second alarm. The, The alarms are ringing. I could not get away from them. And God is saying, it's time to wake up. It's time to pray. It's time to pursue him with the passion that we've not pursued him before. It's time to cry out for our nation. 
It's time to see his kingdom come and his will be done. Are we prepared? Are we ready? So, Father, we just we thank you for this year. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. And I just pray that wherever we find ourselves at this particular moment, that there would be a wake-up call. We want to be a bride prepared for the bridegroom. We don't want to be a people who have all the trappings, have all the poles, all the lights, everything else. And we miss that which is really important. The power and the presence and the passion of a living relationship with you. Stir our hearts, God. Set our hearts on fire. May we be a burning witness in the midst of dark times to your goodness and your grace and your majesty.